communion and baptism. Now, there are a lot of similar beliefs that Catholics have with Protestants. However, the differences are what matter most, and that's what we're going to be discussing today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hello, thank you for joining us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee, and we are back with another episode in our series of Catholicism. And again, I'm your host, Tyler Hurley, here with Robbie Lashua. Yep, it's good to be back talking about the differences between Protestants and Roman Catholics. Yes, we're super excited to keep breaking uh, all these terms down in this series because, again, there's just a lot to unpack. Well, 2,000 years of church history, uh, yeah, so there's a lot. Yeah, so we want to make sure we know uh, what the differences are and how to speak to them, and again, Again, for us as believers, or sorry, for us as Protestants, we want to make sure Scripture is kind of the authority. Like if God gave mm. us His Word, it's kind of an important thing. Yeah, and we yeah. really <laughs> should seek that when we're trying to put together doctrine, not traditions of the church or of people. Even even people mm. we respect, even theologians we really love. Um, they're not infallible, but yeah. God's Word is. So why don't we stick with God's infallible Word? Exactly. On matters like this. So that's exactly. important for us as as Protestants, right? Obviously, sola scriptura, right? Yeah, scripture alone. Scripture alone. Like, that's that's the authority that we have. Uh, right. So, right. yeah, it's important to keep that in mind as we, as we go about uh, mm. this Roman Catholic uh, series. So, well, hey, before we get into it, coffee tip time. Yeah. And this is uh, an interesting coffee right. tip, I think, because it's literally a coffee tip. Um, obviously, we're still in the thralls of COVID-19 here in Arizona. We still are um, not able mm. to leave our homes. Just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> I saw right? a funny yeah. meme, and it's like, it's like, don't ever leave your homes, you know, unless you want to, and then that's fine. <laughs> that's yeah, kind of the attitude of most places. <laughs> but um, we're still under, you know, a stay-at-home order. Um, but when you go out, you know, there's Starbucks open. There's other coffee shops that are still open. Um, they're doing, you know, curbside, drive through oh, yeah. You can't hang out there, but you can still get good coffee. This is my uh, coffee tip for you today. Because a lot of people are in tough times, um, I, was, I was reading that something like 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Mm. So that's tough. Tons of people are out of work right now. And then there's those that are working. And so if you're going to go get a cup of coffee, which I think you should, Get a good cup of coffee from a local coffee shop, from a chain, wherever. But when you get to the drive through or you get to the curbside, give a really good tip to the person bringing your coffee. Mm, yeah. Cof- a literal coffee tip. I like tip. that. Do you a like coffee that? tip because no, you're actually tipping it's true. for like, your coffee. And again, if you're, if you're in hard times, you know, don't, don't be an idiot with oh, this. Oh, sure. But I think that it's really a cool thing. Like I, I remember when I was a, a 16-year-old and I was working. My first job I tried to get so I could um, buy a bass guitar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm working in the winter uh, at Walmart pushing carts. It was terrible. And all that kept me going was that guitar. And I would daydream about what if somebody just saw me out here and they said, hey, kid, you're doing a good job. Here's a hundred dollar bill. I was like, like oh yeah, man, right. that would like make my day. I mean, it would have paid for like half of the <laughs> guitar. But you know, I'm like, yeah. that would be awesome. Well, you said it was winter, and from where you come from, winter, oh, it was, cold. Winter yeah. was a little rough. It yeah. was it was cold. <laughs> but I always thought, how cool would that be? And um, man, if you're in the position to be able right. to do that for somebody who's working at a mm. coffee shop trying to get by, and you can give them a big tip, I think that would just be awesome. It'd be a really cool way to show them the love of Jesus. Tip big. Double, oh, yeah. triple, quadruple your regular tips. Um, and for those of you out there who don't ever tip a barista, get into the <laughs> habit of it. <laughs> if it's good coffee, right? Yeah, if it's good. For, so sure. that's your coffee tip for today. Tip your baristas. I like it. That's generously. Great. Yeah, it's 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 good. It's healthy. I don't, I don't know if we Hel- like helpful. Yeah, healthy. I, healthy. Yeah. It, it is healthy. It's healthy to be spiritually in the place where you are wanting to give and be generous. Yeah, to be generous yeah. to people and love people well. So that's yeah, that's is. one I way like we that. can do it now, and it's pretty simple. <laughs> mm-hmm. So cool, but awesome. So now we are going to get into the beef for today. Yes. The main content. 
So yeah, we're talking about baptism and communion. Yes, the differences with the Roman Catholic belief on it and the Protestant belief on it. Yes, and now uh, the best way that we thought to go about this was first we want to present the arguments from the Roman Catholic doctrine yeah. and what they believe. Uh, first for baptism, then for communion in in those orders, and then we're going to flip that over into uh, the Christian take on it, and then we're going to give our Protestant respons- right because the Catholics would say yes, they're Christian. I apologize. So, yes, yeah. uh, I'm used to uh, a lot of the times when we talk on the show we're talking about christian atheist christian, atheist, christian, christian mormon, mormon yeah, so sure. uh, it's the terminology but it's true you're right <laughs> you're absolutely right so uh yeah don't call a catholic a yes. non-christian yeah, that's, right, a bad, right. that's a bad move yeah. yeah so basically though um the way we're going to do this we we're going to describe it in order of baptism and communion I, yeah. baptism first because this is something that a lot of people might not be aware of but the uh, catholics believe that you have to be baptized first before you can partake in communion yes and there's a reason there is a reason. Yeah, what's the reason? It's because, and that is the first point that we want to get to with baptism uh, for the Roman Catholic Church's teachings. Uh, the church basically teaches that all sin was passed on through Adam, which we would believe that. We agree with that, yeah. yeah. Adam infected the species. Yeah, so basically it's inherited original sin, right? So the Catholic Church teaches that through baptism, you are cleansed of your original sin. Mm-hmm. So through this process, uh, the individual is being completely uh, cleared of all prior history of sin throughout their nature, and yep. it is now clean slate, brand new. You are responsible for yourself. Yep. Uh, so which is why, of course, communion comes after because they believe that you need to be cleansed first. And we talked right. last week about how it doesn't cleanse you of future sins. You need to do the sacraments to cleanse yes, you of future exactly. sins. Exactly. But they won't let you start doing the sacraments until you've been baptized first. Yes, that's an important distinction to yeah. make. And so with that, um, the, the Roman Catholic Church also holds to the doctrine of infant baptism, mm-hmm. which uh, we won't get into super in depth uh, because uh, this could be an entire podcast in itself. Uh, however, um, the idea of infant baptism is pretty self-explanatory, but, but uh, Catholics will typically baptize their young, uh, their babies mm-hmm. at, at their infant stage early on because as a dedication to their faith by the parents, typically. Well, it, no, they, and, they believe it saves the kid. Well, yes, yes. They believe it takes away yes, absolutely. original sin, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So they're believing at that point, of course, they want infant you to be baptized as an infant because immediately at the beginning of your life, you're cleansed from your original sin. Yep, that's and now the you can start to work exactly. to cleanse you yes. from so, sins. So that's an important clarification. Yeah. yeah. And well, so, and so they highly encourage infant baptism. It's oh, of course they It's a very common do. practice in Roman Catholic circles. In fact, it would probably be the preferred method that you be yeah, baptized well, as an infant. Because if they're right about this, yeah. yeah, why not get started off on the right foot? Yeah, think about it. Because like, yeah. the idea here is that as an infant, obviously you're not going to do a whole lot of sinning consciously. Because sure. you're at like a state of mind where you're, you know, the infant stage. You yeah. just, you just cry when you want your bottle, and that's about it. You know, yeah. it's well, like, and you also don't have a chance to die without being baptized, exactly, which would send you to hell. Yeah, and so, um, so there's, yeah, it's so it's that's kind of the concept. To do that. So, okay, Tyler, scripturally, why do they believe this? Yes. Yeah, so the basically, uh, they get this kind of from a doctrine. Uh, it's in the Catechism of the Catholic Church states that the Lord himself affirms that baptism is necessary for salvation based on John 3, 5, okay. and that baptism is necessary for salvation to those whom the gospel has been proclaimed and who have had the possibility of asking for this sacrament, uh, which is driven from the interpretation of Mark 16, 16. Uh, okay, so they got a couple of verses yes. there in the Catholic Catechism that says you have to be baptized for salvation, necessary for salvation. Necessary. Here's the verses that, that back that up. Yes. And now since okay. they—I'm cl- going to do it in order of what they claim. So okay. first, John 3, 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Okay, and this is in Jesus' uh conversation with Nicodemus. Yes. John 3, 16, right? Mm-hmm. And he says, you must be born again. How can I be born again? Do I go back in my mother's womb? It doesn't make any sense, right? Right. Uh, you have to be born of water and the spirit or you can't enter the kingdom of God. Yeah. And that's what they, that's one of the passages they refer to. to they're, they're, they claim that it is the teaching of baptism. Like that's a doctrinal passage. Well, they're saying water them. and spirit means baptism. Yeah, that's what they're saying. Right there, that the water component means or implies baptism, okay? And yep. we're going to talk about that a little later, yeah. but okay. We're going to break that down further. Um, and then what about this Mark 16, 16 passage? What does that say? Yeah, it says, now whoever believes and, Im- and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Okay. Right? Now, a couple of things about this. 
because uh, we're not going to talk about this one later. And yeah. I think that this is very important. Okay. First of all, it says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Yeah. Do you notice it doesn't say, but whoever does not believe and is baptized will be condemned? Did you see that? So even in this passage, it's saying, if you believe and are baptized, you'll be saved, but if you don't believe, you'll be condemned. Meaning that the common denominator for being saved or condemned is belief, not baptism. Yeah, that's what that would imply. This is this is like saying, hey, in, you know, if, to make uh, chocolate chip cookies, you need to put chocolate chips and oatmeal in there. Well, yes, that's true. Mm-hmm. But you could, you don't need the oatmeal, and you could still have. Chip. Yeah, so you read another recipe that says you just put chocolate chips in. Is that chocolate chip cookies? Well, yeah, because chocolate chip cookies are about chocolate chips. Yeah, uh, salvation you don't need the oatmeal. is about belief. Yeah, you don't need the oatmeal. You don't need the baptism to be saved. So this passage doesn't teach anything. Plus, we have to take the whole counsel of God into account, mm. right? Yeah, um, it's kind of like that passage in um, Romans where it says, you know, if you can, conf- if you believe in your heart. And you confess with your mouth. Yeah. Well, confessing with your mouth doesn't save you because we have all these passages that say it's just about believing. Oh, of course. So he's not saying it's the confessing that saves you. It's you believe and you also confess, but the believing is the thing that saved you. Yeah, and that's an important distinction to make. Yeah, we have to look at all scripture and say, okay, this one says believe and be baptized. A hundred over here say believe. What's the common theme? Oh, believe, Mm. right? So they, they can't possibly be meaning and that. And especially in this verse where it says, uh, and you're condemned if you don't believe. Mm. It's showing that it's about belief, not about baptism. Yeah, exactly. Now, even if we don't have any of those arguments, which we do, Mark 16, 16 is in the portion of Mark that's not originally in the Bible. Yeah, and if you go in your Bibles and you check yourself, you'll even see like uh, most of them have like a little bracket that yes. states like this is not in the original manuscripts. Yeah, right here. I've got it. Oh, uh, look at that. Mark, yeah, I have a Bible. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah, I love this thing. Um, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, at the end of Mark, Mark 16, 16, uh, it, uh, or Mark chapter 16 mm-hmm. ends at verse 8, and at the beginning of verse 9 is where you'll see the bracket. And so 9 through the end of the chapter is what's called the long ending of Mark, mm. and it isn't found in the earliest manuscripts. It was added later. Therefore, it's not Scripture. Therefore, it doesn't matter what it says because we don't take doctrine from it. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's crazy because this is— the crazy thing is, is that's like, these are the core passages that yeah. the Catholic Church teaches that the idea of baptism being necessary for salvation comes yep. from. And uh, the reason why is because uh, most of the idea of s- baptism being an aspect of salvation or the aspect of salvation uh, comes from statements that they gathered from early church fathers. Yeah, it doesn't come from the New Testament. It comes from early church fathers. And yeah. and we there's a, there's a record, if you read about the early church fathers, like they got real off base with what grace is, mm, yeah. Um, with with some weird things, especially with infant baptism. Oh yeah, that's, yep. And that's the thing. And uh, you you see lots of uh, there's tons of quotes that the Catholic Church will use to argue this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but what's crazy is a lot of them they do argue out of uh, John chapter three with yeah. the passage we just read. And so yeah. and they use that as an argument, saying yeah, baptism is necessary for salvation. Yep. Uh, however, we're uh, going we to talk about John three a, a little later, exactly, but yeah. yeah, that's that, those are the main passages. Yeah. And so, uh, just really briefly, um, I wanted to quote one of the early church fathers just to give everybody an idea of, uh, what they're talking about. Yeah. Uh, so this is from Justin Martyr, uh, in a, uh, AD 151. Um, and this is the first apology. Uh, it says as, Sorry, as many are persuaded and believe that we Christians teach and say it is true and undertake to be able to live accordingly, are brought by us where there is water and are regenerated in the same manner in which ourselves regenerated. For in the name of God, the Father, and the Lord of the universe, and of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and of the Holy Spirit, they then receive the washing with water. For Christ also said, except you be born again, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So they used that quote basically as a statement of saying, see, Justin Martyr, along with early church fathers, would argue that this passage is saying that 
through the water, through the washing of the water, is how you were saved, meaning baptism. Yeah. And see, and, th- and this is the thing. We can respect theologians. We can respect oh, yeah, early church right. fathers, but we have to always go, they're not our authority. Scripture's our authority. Uh, the early church fathers had a lot of crazy ideas. It's um, so And you remember true. that's when heresies were popping up all over the place. Yeah. Like Jesus not being God, or Jesus not physically rising from the dead, but it just being his spirit and just appearing like he rose from the dead. Yeah. And you all the Gnostic beliefs, and you, like... Just because they're old doesn't mean they're right. That's right, and, and that's the thing. A lot of them uh, did this out of a good conscience too. You gotta be yeah, mindful and they of were that. studying and they well, were pushing. Like, but Justin Martyr right. also was he, he was uh, before he was a Christian. He was in Ephesus studying Greek philosophy. Yeah, and so that yeah. plays in a little bit too. And all Greek philosophy is not bad. There's a lot of it that's true, but all of it's not true. Mm. And so we have to we have to think through. Okay, scriptures are authority. What does Scripture say? Not just quote. Um, theologians. And listen, this is a danger that a lot of people have in general. Uh, I've gotten in arguments with people at church, and they'll say, you disagree with this guy and this guy and this guy? (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, of course I do, because what they're saying isn't in the Bible. Um, And I could list guys I agree with that you disagree with, but that doesn't mean anything. That's just an appeal to authority. It's not a real argument. We have to go to the scriptures, and we have to provide arguments for what the text says. Yeah, and that's So I love Justin Martyr. (laughs) Right, right. But I don't like this quote. Yeah, but but that's the thing. Like, obviously— we don't believe that the early church fathers were infallible. No, but Scripture is. But Scripture is. That's yeah. the key. The Pope's that's not infallible. Deal. Scripture is. Exactly. And that's yeah. what we want to go to. That's who we need to mm. look to. So, all right. So, what are the what are the uh, exemptions that people can have, Tyler? Because, yeah, does the Catholic Church have any leniency? And like, if you're not baptized by a priest, you're going to hell for sure. Or is there a little leeway with right? That? And and that's a, that's an important distinction to make because obviously not everyone is always physically capable of being baptized before sure. they die. Yeah. I mean, it happens. Like, uh, the, But the thing is, is because uh, uh, the Catholic Church belief is that you have to have a priest present with you in the moment of baptism. So uh, like, to be baptized, you have to go to a cathedral. Yeah, because the priest has the authority to do it. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. And, and so basically, uh, the Church does have exemptions for this mm-hmm. that, they, uh, uh, that they propose. And basically, those are... If you are willing to, and you have a genuine desire in your heart, an attempt to be baptized, but are restrained or unable to, uh, then that, and if you die being in that state, that earns you the right of being baptized, basically. But being prevented. Yes. It's okay. Yes. Okay. That, and on top of that, it's also for those who die what is called a martyr's uh, death, in, which is called a blood baptism. That's what okay. they would refer it to. So if you die a martyr for Jesus, but you hadn't been baptized, that's Exactly. Okay. So if you be- say that you proclaim uh, that you believe in Jesus and you believe in the one true God and you die for that belief and you haven't been baptized, mm-hmm. they call that baptism by the blood, mm-hmm. meaning you were washed from your original sin through that act. Okay. So what's interesting, if you think about it, Robbie, if you die... Uh, through blood baptism Mm -hmm. and you're being cleared of original sin, which that means every sin up until that point. Yeah. Which that would probably be the safest bet into getting into eternity. Yeah, instead of having to do all the extra work afterwards. Yeah, because that's the thing. You're not having to continue to fill yourself with grace and earn grace because at that point, at the baptism, it's it's wiped clean, right? That makes sense, yeah. So you almost want to be a martyr. Yeah, or heck, (laughs) if anything, I mean, if you're wanting to take a gamble— uh, if you you want to like wait until your deathbed to be baptized, be well, <laughs> but that's a gamble because if you don't do it and you're denying it, then yeah, uh, yeah that's, that's a thing. A so idea. it's interesting, yeah. interesting thoughts. But still, those are the exemptions for being baptized. Yep. That's how you can be saved without baptism in the Catholic Church. And baptism is important because again, it's the first act that you do that washes you of original sin and sins up until that point, and then you can begin to earn grace through the sacraments, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, let's move on to the Eucharist, or communion, the Lord's table. Yes. What is the Catholic belief about this? Yeah, and so obviously communion is the the word we use for it today. However, early church history, it was also known as the Eucharist, mm-hmm. um, which that's just a Greek term. It comes from the Greek term, uh, Eucharista. Uh, am I saying that right? Or Eucharistia? Sure. Uh, but basically, it's uh, meaning thanksgiving. That's the idea. Um, it's uh, thankfulness and thanksgiving. Uh, the, they refer to it as basically uh, also as the blessed sacrament of the altar or the sacrifice of the mass are some other names that they give to it. But before participating in communion, uh, church members are required to be baptized, mm-hmm. 
And you also have to hold to three different states within yourself before you get to the point of taking communion. So baptism before you can do any sacraments. Yeah. Oh, yes. And okay. that's something we got to really drive home here. Uh, we talked about other sacraments on last week's episode, too. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the church believes that you have to be cleared of original sin in order to be able to partake in those other sacraments, because those are stuff that happens after with sins that you commit, that you're that the church believes you are held responsible for. Mm-hmm. So you get baptized, now you can partake in communion, and they'll even have like a big event for the a kid's first communion. Yes, it's a big that's deal right. uh, mm-hmm. in Catholic circles. So yeah, so you come to the Lord's Supper, to the Holy Communion, and Catholics have a belief that's called transubstantiation. Yes. Uh, And this is a really interesting belief. What it is is they believe that the bread or the wafer and the wine literally changes substance into the flesh Mm. of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. And so you're literally ingesting um, Jesus, yeah. He's present in the elements, not just present, but the substance of the elements changes. And so, Tyler, where do they get this idea from scripturally? Yeah, yeah, they, they would claim that that idea comes from John chapter 6. Uh, now, I'm going to read just that passage really quick, and again, we'll break this down a little bit more as we go. Uh, but this is chapter 6, verses 53 through 58. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Okay, so Jesus literally says, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood, and that's what gives you eternal life. That's the claim of the treasure. Yeah, and that's what John six fifty three. that's what Jesus' words are saying, right? Yeah, that's what my his words are saying. My flesh is real food, my blood is real drink, Yeah, he right? who eats this bread will live forever. He says that. Okay, so that's, that's right. the scriptural place they get this from, that communion is yes. us being able to do this command to yes, eat his real blood and on top of that it's real flesh it, um with that belief it, it's so strict that everyone must partake in communion mm-hmm. uh, it that's why it's such a driven uh sacrament like they would even argue that it's important for you to take it every day yeah as much as you can well because again yeah. like we talked about last week it's infused grace if you mm-hmm. want to get more grace for yourself so that you don't spend as much time in purgatory and you can go into heaven yeah you need to do these works so yeah if you can take communion multiple times a day that yeah. would be great however the church even uh has made statements too that the bare minimum requirement for how often one person needs to take communion is at the very least on Easter. Yes, that's a huge deal. So if if you, you miss mass regularly Easter, yep. and you're you're kind of flaky yeah. and uh, and you don't attend, you need to take communion on Easter. Yeah, that's the that's kind of like a, a big deal for them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and that's where you get Christmas and Easter Catholics, right? That that's when they go. Yeah, and well, that's why holidays. it's because yeah. it's because the church comes out and says, "Look, if you're not coming the rest of the year, you need to come on Easter it, yep. to take communion." Yeah. So, all right, so. The blood and the, the the wine and the bread literally become the flesh and the blood of Jesus. Yes. But you have to be baptized prior to being able to take it. But in addition to that, there's three things that you have to do to prepare yourself before you take it. Yes, that's correct. Okay, what are these three things? Yeah, so first, uh, the Roman Catholic Church basically teaches uh, and, uh, that you must be in a state of grace. Okay. And now, again, that's through being baptized. Through being right? baptized. So, so baptism, step number one. Done. Yes. And okay. now, now where they get this from, it's from 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven through 28. It says, uh, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and the blood of the Lord. Okay. Let a man examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And so basically they're saying that this is a mandatory element uh, for the sacrament that they teach it. Because if you're, if you're not preparing yourself mm-hmm. in, uh, with these three things, mm-hmm. you're basically destroying the flesh. Yeah, you're not in a state of grace. That's what yes. it means. You need to be prepared in a worthy manner. And they get that from 1 Corinthians 11. Yes. All right, what's the second requirement? Yes, the second requirement is you must have been to confession prior to the time of taking communion. Okay, so you confess first, then you approach yes. the table. And, and uh, let me clarify that. I should have made a distinction. It's not just confession at any time prior. Okay. It, you, you have to take confession of your most recent mortal sins. 
like so you go you'd probably go into mass you go into church you'd confess then you go take communion right yes after that, exactly cleanse through the confessing mm-hmm. okay. and now again we we talked about last week what what the difference is on mortal sin and uh basically again that's just uh that's specifically um the Roman Catholic Church even makes sins mortal sins listed out in a lot of their doctrines. Yeah, they have some of them listed and then, but they don't explain all of them exhaustively. No, they wouldn't. And so say yeah, that. mortal sins are like real serious sins. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so it's basically um sexual idolatry, you know, um abortion, divorce, that, murder, divorce, murder. Things, and and yeah. divorce, I was going to touch on that too. What's interesting about divorce is um that's another requirement for communion. Um, Catholics, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that if you were divorced and remarried, you can never partake in communion because they still hold to that the first marriage you were a part of is valid. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So you so, can't take communion if you... No. I, I've seen divorced people take communion at Catholic Church. They're not church. supposed to. Oh, okay. That's, and so that's in the doctrine because what they believe here is that you're in sin because okay. the Catholic belief is that divorce isn't a thing. So that'd be definitely taking it in an unworthy manner. Yeah. So they believe that if you remarry, you're mm-hmm. partaking in adultery. Interesting. That's the idea of the Catholic Church because the original uh, marriage is still valid. Gotcha. If you divorce and remarry. So, okay. That makes now, sense. now that uh, I haven't looked into it, but um, what their take is on like death and then remarriage, sure. like that could be different. However, from my understanding, if you divorce and remarry, yeah, you can't take communion. So, uh, so that's one. The second state is you can't be in a state of moral sin. You need to confess mm-hmm. first, okay. And now the third state is what's interesting is the requirement, the Catholic Church holds to a requirement that you must believe in the process of transubstantiation. So you have to believe that it's actually becoming the flesh and blood of Jesus. Yes. Okay. So that's the third requirement that you really you have to believe. believe hey, when I'm consuming this, it at one point it is becoming the actual flesh and blood of Christ. Mm, interesting. Okay. You have to believe in that process, and they believe that the reason for that again that comes from First uh, Corinthians eleven twenty nine because they're saying that in that passage he's saying that whoever eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself, meaning you're not discerning the body, taking that into it's account actually the body. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's how they that, interpret it. I don't think that's what it's saying, but yeah, that's... That, <laughs> yeah, I okay. would disagree with that too. And so, um, like, uh, I don't... I just think that basically the idea of it is obviously this is talking about something that's spiritual here. It's not talking about yeah. the physical consumption of the flesh and blood of Christ. So. Sure. Interesting. Okay, so baptism, communion... Catholic edition. Yeah. Now let's talk about what the Protestants, what we believe is true about baptism and communion. So obviously we have a huge difference in what we believe baptism is. Um, We, number one, don't believe baptism saves anybody. Mm, So that's huge. Like baptism is not salvific. Baptism is not about saving your soul or forgiving any sins at all. Um, What is baptism then? It is an outward proclamation that you have believed in Jesus, right? That's what it is. It's a confession before others that I have trusted in Jesus. And it's even symbolic of showing that, um, you know, I've died and you get put under the water and Mm -hmm. I will rise again, right? Christ died and he rose again. I'm going to die and rise again because of what I believe. It's a public proclamation. Now, an interesting thing about it, too, is, you know, in the Bible, there isn't any instances of infants being baptized. That's correct. Yeah. Every place we see baptism occur in the New Testament, it's always for someone who's believed, and then they choose to get baptized and show other people yeah, that's true. that they believe. So that's, that, so that's a big difference for us. Yeah, and a lot of times we even see passages like with the disciples. It always says after they go and they witness to people, it would say oftentimes they believed and then they were baptized. Yeah. That's well, something that—like, that that statement— comes on all a lot. the time. I, Acts 16, right? With the Philippian mm-hmm. jailer. What what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And then it says that his whole house, his whole home, it's probably slaves, family, everyone yeah. gets saved. And then they all got baptized too. The Ethiopian yeah. slave, right? Philip the evangelist goes and he explains exactly. Isaiah to him. Yeah. And he believes. And then he says, what's preventing me from being baptized now? Because that's what you do. Because that's what happens. So so that, that was the common belief. And you see that throughout scripture. Obviously, they are teaching 
believer's baptism. Yes, and so that's a big difference, is we don't believe that being an infant, you have made a decision to believe in Jesus. Mm. So um, it's not, uh, yeah, it's not prescribed in Scripture to do infant baptism, and it definitely nowhere in the Bible states that baptism saves you at all. Yeah, it doesn't. There's places all over the place that say it's about believing, 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 believing. Uh, in last week's show notes, I put, I think, about 60 verses that yeah. teach belief or faith alone for salvation. And so if you want to go and look at the show notes from last week, you can get all of those verses and check them out. But Scripture is clear on what saves us, and it's not our works, and it's not baptism. It's not baptism mm-hmm. uh, at all. Uh, so we believe that baptism is symbolic of an inner reality that's happened spiritually. We believe that you're showing other people, this is what I uh, have trusted in. I'm making a public proclamation uh, so others know where I stand as I stand with Jesus. Mm. Now, there is that passage about uh, Nicodemus and Jesus, right? What does it mean, born of spirit and water? Right? Yeah, that's interesting. And they take, the, the Catholic Church takes that to mean you have to be baptized to be born again. Yes, that is correct. And we would say, no, that's not what he's saying. You definitely need to be born again. Mm. But how do you become born again? Yeah, and that's what Nicodemus is asking, right? Yeah, yeah. How do I crawl back up in my mom like that? That's not going to happen, right? Yeah. How do I get born again? And Jesus explains it to him. Now, what's interesting, Tyler, is a couple of things. Jesus says you need to be born of water and spirit, and there's different ways to interpret this. Some people think it means water's like the physical birth that you already had, mm-hmm. but you also have to be born of spirit. That's the born again aspect. Yes, exactly. Some people don't believe that. Um, they believe that water and spirit are a synonymous thing and that you need to be born of a spiritual cleansing idea. Mm-hmm. Um, the Catholics obviously take this to mean you have to be baptized to be saved. Yeah, but doesn't Jesus go on to explain what it means to be spiritually born again in the rest of that passage? He does. What are the things that he tells Nicodemus? Yeah, well, so so for one, uh, again, uh, just uh, briefly, the idea that he says uh, in Romans, uh, sorry, not Romans, sorry, in John chapter three, verses three through six, he says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God." And Nicodemus says to him, "How can a man be born when he is old?" Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Yeah. And then that's when Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and a spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Mm-hmm. Now, what's interesting is this is not the same as baptism because he's not, for one, and uh, Robbie, I'm sure you could break that down mm-hmm. more too. Uh, the word for water here is not meaning the same as baptism. No, they're it's, two different words. The word for water here is hydor, and the word for baptism is baptizo. They're not the same word. So for them to equate that yeah. this means baptism is kind of illegitimate. Not to mention that John has already, in John chapter 1, talked about baptism. Yes. So it's not like it's a new concept he hasn't introduced already. Here he talks about John the Baptist and what he was doing in John chapter 1. So if John meant, or if Jesus meant baptism, he would have just said baptism. He doesn't. He says water and spirit. And so I think what he's talking about is there's a fleshly water birth, right? And, you know, your mom's water breaks before you're born, that Mm -hmm. whole thing. Um, But then there's spiritual rebirth. So if he meant baptism, he would have said it. He didn't. But then he goes on in the rest of the chapter to tell Nicodemus how you get spiritual... rebirth yeah um let me look john john three fifteen. whoever believes will in him have eternal life okay for god to love the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes john 16 yep. in him shall not perish but have eternal life uh for god did not send his son into the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through him he who believes in him is not judged so jesus goes on to tell him this is how you get spiritual eternal life yeah that's right you believe you believe you believe he doesn't mention baptism in the whole chapter yeah, and so that's a, that's a big deal. Yeah, so I don't think they're being very clear or they're being um, very honest with what the text says. It kind of seems like cherry-picking a passage yeah. instead of the whole context of what's going on there. Yeah, and so that's a, that's a very important uh, clarification to make is that other passages— 
clarify this like in the same the same letter yeah right like that's the crazy thing it's like uh it's almost just like very circumstantial how this passage is used uh early on with the uh, catholic belief and teaching yes. that it's for salvation it is well and even earlier in john i mean john all over the place is about belief and we talked about it last week like john s- says belief like 92 to 95 mm-hmm. times this is a theme of his book in john 1 12 he says but all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of god who were born not of blood Mm. nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of god so how do we get born again how do we become children of god not children of our earthly parents yeah believe believe in the name of jesus and and not only that not only that he's making it even more clear in this passage that it's not physical because he says right there at the end half of uh of that passage who uh who were born not of blood nor of uh, the will of the flesh, yeah. nor of the will of man, but of God. That He's not saying that this is a physical birth that he's talking yeah. about. This is in the same letter here, people. It's not a like, physical this is, act. Yeah, like, it's this not is, baptism. No, it's no, not. It's belief, who believed in his name. So it's very clear that baptism isn't something that saves us. Um, it's done by believers. It's done by immersion. Uh, every example we see of it in scripture, the word baptizo, it literally means to immerse. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we have a huge distinction between what Catholics believe baptism is and what Protestants believe it is. And I think that obviously I'm a Protestant, uh, but I, I'd like to think I'm a Protestant because scripture, uh, teaches it. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> Not because I don't want to be a Catholic. Yeah, like Scripture the... backs up the views that I hold. I want to read right. Scripture and follow it with what it says. Right, exactly. And so these are, again, these are just super important um, to distinguish, again, the differences. Because, yeah, yeah like... like Catholics will come and say to you, yeah, we believe in baptism, but the thing is, it's different. It's very different. Yeah. So. Well, and even Christians get confused, or uh, Protestants get confused yeah, on this. Right. I have I have people who are like, well, I got baptized when I was 12 as a believer, but then I kind of walked away and I want to get baptized again. Well, no, you don't need to get baptized no. again, yeah. right? It's not about, it's not a work to continue to do. You believe in Jesus, then you got baptized. That's great. It's not that we're not purifying ourselves through this. There's no earning of grace through this. It's nothing like that. It's symbolic to show others what I believe and what I trust. So, all right. What about communion? What's the distinction we have, Tyler, with the Roman Catholic Church on communion? Yes. Now, first off, the biggest thing, I think this just to kind of, give it to you like in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Protestant idea of communion is symbolic. Yes, it's the memorial view. Yes. Right? Yes. It is symbolic, a memorial view, just like baptism, yes. right? Uh, now, what's interesting here is this is uh, c- communion to us uh, Protestants is the process of remembrance. Yes. However, to the Roman Catholic Church, they they are teaching that uh, those who partake in communion are partaking in a sacrament. Yeah, right? and it saves you. It's earning grace. You're eating Jesus' flesh and blood to exactly. get grace. Uh, we believe in what's called the Zwingli view. Zwingli was a reformer, and he came up with the view of the memorial view based on Scripture saying why we're supposed to do it. And the Bible tells us why we're supposed to take communion. Yes. And it's to do in remembrance of him. Exactly. But we've got uh, some problems with that. What's that whole eat my flesh, drink my blood thing? Yeah, yeah. But let's look at a few of the scriptures that talk about communion explicitly. Because this is the thing. Jesus, when he was saying, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, he's not instituting the Lord's Supper there. Mm -mm. He's not talking about communion at all there. So let's go to the passages where he is talking about it and see what's said. So uh, I've got Luke 22, 14 through 20 here. It says, And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom. He took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Mm. So Jesus in Luke gives us... Uh, um, uh, communion, and he tells us as often as you do this, do this. Why? To remember. Yes. Me. 
in remembrance of me, the memorial view of communion. That's what Jesus said the purpose of it. You notice he didn't say, uh, do this in order to earn grace from yeah, me. Yeah, there's not a salvation requirement that he makes no. out of that statement. He says, no, do this in remembrance. And he didn't say, do this because this is you eating my flesh and blood, because it actually mm. becomes my flesh and blood. He doesn't say that. He says, you do it in order to remember me, to remember the sacrifice that he made on the cross. So that's one of the reasons we believe in a memorial view, because it literally says it. Also, that passage in Luke is fascinating. Um, Paul quotes that same exact passage in 1 Corinthians 11. Yeah. But you know, 1 Corinthians was written before Luke. It, did you know that? You know what? I, I did know that, but I, I, I think I forgot that when we People were going over People always will say, notes. hey, that's cool. Paul's quoting Luke. Is he? No, you're right. He did He did write that first. Yeah, he's not quoting Luke. What is Paul quoting? Well, he's quoting the same thing Luke's quoting, Jesus tradition. Yeah. These were things people knew Jesus had that said. That was their source. It was the, it was the Jesus tradition. The oral tradition, the mm-hmm. Jesus tradition that had come up. And so Paul and Luke both say it's about remembrance. Yes, that's right. Jesus. And so we believe in remembrance. So we don't believe that the uh, elements change substance and become his flesh and blood. Mm. We believe that they're symbolic of his flesh and blood, and they help us remember what he did on the cross. Yeah, and then obviously uh, with that passage uh, too, uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, when it says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so uh, through that passage, uh, Protestants, like we get the, that, that idea that we're doing this to proclaim his death until yep. he returns, right? Yep, we're still memorializing his death. Yeah, Think it, about that. That's it, what we're doing. It's like a statement of faith and remembrance and belief when we're partaking in communion yep. because we're, we're realizing it's us acknowledging that he, there was a death Yes, and that he is going to return, right? Yep. We're taking time to remember it. It's a living memorial. Yes, right? that's right. And, we're pro- and by having that... That memorial, like uh, uh, in last year, I went to Rwanda and I went to the Genocide Memorial Museum. Yeah, why do they have that? Because they don't want people to forget what happened. Yeah, you need to remember. You need to remember so you don't repeat it in the future. But they don't want people to forget. They want people, of, the people of Rwanda, the people of the world, to remember what happened there in the '90s with the the genocide, mm. right? Yeah, uh, that's what we're doing. We are proclaiming through the taking of the elements, the death of Jesus, because we want to remember and we want to proclaim it until mm, his death. So exactly. that's what we believe is happening. So what's the deal with this whole eat my flesh, drink my blood thing? Yeah. Because that is pretty weird. It is. It Jesus is. said some weird statements. Like, we have to be honest about that. Right, right. And so so to clarify that, I think, it, again, let's just uh, briefly go over that passage real quick. Okay. Uh, for John 6, 53 through 58, again, he says, uh, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread of the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Okay. Now, what's interesting is... What Jesus is referring to here is spiritual. And, and the reason we know that is you can look prior, just a few verses back. You see in verse uh, 35 of uh, chapter 6, mm-hmm. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, what's interesting is in that passage, just a few verses before he made this statement, He's not talking about a physical never being hungry again or never being thirsty again. Of course not. Because obviously even Catholics know when you're partaking in communion, yeah. you're not eternally full. You're not eternal. No, he's talking you know? about eternal life. Yeah. Right? So, so well, and he doesn't literally, he, Jesus, it wasn't literally bread. Exactly. Yeah. He was a human. Yes. So yes. what's that called? And it's called an analogy. Exactly. Right? And Jesus used analogies all throughout the Gospel of John. Uh, in John chapter 2, he calls his body a temple. Remember? Yeah. He says, tear down this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. 
Yes. Right? And obviously he's not a physical temple. No. You know he's, he's talking he's a about human. himself. Yeah. John 3, 16, right? or John 3, 1 through 18, right? About the born again thing. Yeah. It's not right. a literal physical. Nicodemus thought, wait, literally physically? How does this happen? Jesus, no, that's not what we're talking about here. John 4, he tells the woman at the well that he's living water. Yeah. And that he would give her living water, right? Um, his disciples come back after that, and they, they bring him food. And they say, hey, here's some food. And he says, I'm not hungry. Uh, I already have food. And they say, who brought you this food? And he says, I have food that you don't know about. And my food is to accomplish the will of my father. That's right. Okay. Uh, John 7, right? Come to me and drink, he says. Wait, drink of you and we'll never, like, what? What, like, did, what are you talking about analogies, here? right? No one thinks that Jesus really was bread, really was a fountain, really was right. a light, really was a, right? Yeah. Really was a shepherd. Was he even a shepherd? He calls himself a good shepherd. He wasn't he was a shepherd, a he was shepherd, a carpenter. No. Like, he didn't have sheep. So, again, what is he saying with these analogies? What is he teaching with them? Well, these are spiritual truths that he's yeah. using things to refer to so that people can understand it. Another interesting thing about this passage that I think refutes Roman Catholic doctrine is this. Yes. Okay, it says, Whoever feeds on the, my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So whatever it means to eat or drink of the flesh and blood, the result is eternal life that you have mm. guaranteed and you will be raised up on the last day. Which would mean if, you, if, if, if this was referring to uh, transubstantiation, if you ate it once, you're guaranteed heaven forever. But that's not what the Catholic Church teaches. No, it's not. No, you have to keep eating. You have to keep confessing. You have to keep doing all the sacraments. Yeah, so you got to think, like, th if they're taking it in that literal sense, they would have to take it in the literal sense. You would have to take it in this once. literal sense. Yeah. So if you if you ate the transubstantiated blood and and uh, and flesh of Jesus, you're in forever. I'll raise yeah. him up. He has eternal life. Uh, then he says, whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. Yeah. Not and then if he works hard enough and if he gets out of purgatory. So if they really exactly. believed it, you take it once, you're good. Yeah. And then even that- but they don't. Yeah, and then even that other passage, uh, John six thirty five, he said, uh, "Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and believes in me shall never thirst." Yep. So if that's literal, like they're talking about, exactly, you would eat it one and be one and done, right? But they're not they're not taking it literally. No, they're not, except so, when they want to. That's what I mean. Like that's the main issue here is that it is so circumstantial. The passages so that it they're was using. bad hermeneutics. It's it is a bad it is. way to exegete the scripture. Yeah, it's it's kind of applying what you're seeking yep. to the word of God. Yep. And and infusing and putting your ideas in, eisegeting instead of exegeting. You're putting your wants in there instead of taking them out. I mean, and you can't even argue that that's not what they're doing because the thing is they literally get majority of their doctrine for uh for baptism through the church fathers. Well, and through church tradition and through what yeah. popes have said and former popes and yeah, all of those things. Yeah, and so it's so. through it's through other people. Yep, uh, coming in and uh, interpreting God's word in yep. a circumstantial I think, way. I think Scripture clearly teaches that communion is about remembrance of Christ and memorializing His death until He comes, mm. proclaiming it until He comes, which is what we're supposed to do. He doesn't want us to forget what He accomplished for us, the sacrifice He was willing to go through for us, Him dying in our place. Yes, He wants us to remember what He went through. Why? Because. We're continuing to tell people about it and proclaim it, but we're also propelled to live for that guy. Like mm, when I yeah. see the love, when I remember what he did for me, when I see the beauty in his sacrificial life and how much he cared for me and how grotesque my sin was and what it was needed to, to atone for my crime, mm. um, man, I admire him and I love him and I want to follow him and I want to live for him. We need to remember because we're forgetful people. That's true. So huge differences on these two yes. ordinances, we would call them, or sacraments, like they would call them. Of course. And uh, that's that's why, again, we, we just wanted to uh, take an episode in particular to break down these ideas, because uh, it, it's very clear uh, what Scripture teaches on communion and baptism. Yes. And uh, we... we we just think that it's important that you guys understand the differences that are there, because as we've been saying throughout this whole series, it's the differences that matter, not the similarities. Yep. Remember, too, that it's only about grace that we receive through faith in Jesus Christ that saves us. It's not mm -hmm. about any works. Like, you can't do anything good enough to earn your salvation. 
Jesus did everything perfectly. If you could do everything perfectly, you could be mm. saved. Yeah. You can't. You've already started off on the bad, wrong foot. Like you're you're screwed because of your sin. Yeah. So we can't be perfect, but belief in Jesus, the perfect one, the chosen one, the Messiah qualifies us for heaven. So again, I would encourage you go back to last week's show notes, read through all those verses mm. that clearly teach it's about faith alone in Christ alone. That's what saves us is belief in Jesus, faith in Jesus, and that's it. Yeah. It's not about our works. It's not about earning anything. And even the idea that you think you can contribute to earning your salvation yeah. is is a crazy idea. Now there is sanctification and there is following the Lord and obeying oh, of course, him yeah. and there is real loss to be had in regards to rewards in heaven, but you can't lose being a child of God. Mm. And you can't lose entrance into the kingdom. Right. You're in because of what Jesus did if you've believed if you've trusted in what he did for you on the cross. And there's so many verses that talk yeah, about it. Yeah, there's a lot. And it's very clear. Again, refer to the show notes from last week to see that list of verses. But um, when talking with people about this, try to get them to the scriptures. That's oh, yeah. the deal, especially with, with your Catholic friends. Try to push them to what does the Bible say? Like, if we follow Jesus, shouldn't we listen to the words that he said? Shouldn't right. we follow what he said instead of following traditions or instead of following other uh, hierarchical entities, you know, popes, mm. bishops, priests? Shouldn't we follow what Jesus taught in light of them? So push people to Scripture and let Scripture speak for itself. That's, that's the main thing. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, thank you so much for joining us today on Christ Culture and Coffee. We just uh, hope that this episode has been beneficial to you as we broke down these sacraments in uh, detail. Um, and again, uh, let us know, by the way, if you have any other questions on anything we've been talking about or discussing here. Obviously, this isn't an exhaustive sure. case yeah. for uh, the Christian argument uh, of baptism and communion from the Catholic and the Protestant point. Um, we're like, just skimming the surface. We're just trying to skim differences. the surface. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, like really you could spend, we could spend weeks talking about yep. each you of these You could go topics. really in depth into this stuff. Yeah. And so uh, it's just important though, to get a general idea of the core beliefs and uh, why they matter and what you need to do about it, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, because that's the idea of this podcast. It's we want to be able to equip Christians, be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. And with that, we want you to be able to know it and live it out and be able to share and witness that with other people. Yeah, that's, um, the, that's the goal. We need to live out God's word yeah, and live in light yeah. of it, too. Workspace salvation really is uh, depressing. Yeah. Because it's about you making effort, and guess what? You're going to screw up, and you're going to be lazy, and you're not going to do everything mm, you should yeah. be doing. None of us do everything we should be doing, and we all know it. So we needed somebody who did it all for us, and that's what we have in Christ. And we can live an abundant life out of that, out of thanks, and out of uh, wanting to show him how much we love him and wanting to draw closer to him. Um, workspace salvation is always depressing because you can never do enough. Yeah. And you're always it's seeing sad. your failures. It is sad. And that is not what he came to give us. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, hey, listen, if you're not following us uh, on our Facebook Insiders uh, page, we'd love for you to go up and uh, go ahead and do that. A lot of people have been joining this last week even. So go ahead and join the page. But if you do, please uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on our Facebook page, and then we'll let you in. That's one requirement. Yeah. Yep. Have. You gotta follow, you gotta leave us a review, then you can become a Christ Culture and Coffee Insider. If the Insider's track's not for you, you can just follow our page, Christ Culture and Coffee. Yeah, yeah. We're also on Instagram, you can follow us there. Um, but we wanna keep you guys up to date with what we're doing. And if you're not watching us right now, uh, you're listening, <laughs> we also have a YouTube channel. We'd love it if you'd subscribe and you would click that little bell button so you get notifications of when we upload new videos. Yeah. Uh, we're here to serve you and we want to make this content available to help encourage you so that you can and defend your faith and be confident in your faith. So please follow us everywhere. Yes, exactly. Yeah, everywhere. So again, thank you so much for joining us today on Christ Culture and Coffee. We will see you guys next week as we continue in our series on Catholicism. Thanks for listening to Christ Culture and Coffee. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to help us reach more people.